I have a riddle for you. Riddle me this, Batman. What is black, white, and worn all over? Turnbuckle Boogie t-shirts? That's right! (laughs) And there's only one place to get them. You click on the show notes. You enter into our Brain Buster T-Store, and you can get a Turnbuckle Boogie t-shirt. And you can be black, white, and worn all over, kind of. Yeah. Let's boogie? Why not? (laughs) Here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, I was doing the corn um, blind. blind. Yes. Yes. If, and for uh, anybody wants to know, for the five minutes where I had a comedy backyard wrestling league, I came out to blind by corn. A little word to the wise out there. It's uh, like five minutes before the music really starts. So, yes. Uh, it was a bad decision. That's actually a really interesting topic to bring up. So, well, let music. me inter- please, let me introduce please, us please. first, and then we'll talk about it. Yes. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Turnbuckle Boogie. I am uh, wrestling historian Timothy Sells. With me is wrestler Cutthroat Cody Hancock. Sitting here with a bandage that has zip ties on it to uh, close up my head vagina. We will talk about that as soon as you finish your thoughts on corn. Yeah, so music in general, uh, as far as the world of professional wrestling, my fiance oftentimes entertains the idea of being the world's greatest heel, as Casey refers to herself as. And she's like, I want to come out to this song. And the intro will be way too long. And I'm like, you're cutting on your TV time, brother. Like, that's something that a lot of people don't take in consideration. You have to have music that gets to the point and gets to the point quick. Or, I mean, if you have some, like, uh, song that you love, you know, like, I, you know what I want to do? I want to come out to Cochise by, uh, oh, what was that name of that? Audio Slave. Yes. And it's like, yeah, it's a great idea. Well, except for the uh, three minutes of buildup that before the music starts, you, you're going to need someone who can handle some uh, audio equipment to trim the fat off of the beginning of that tune. Yes. Yes. You know, music selection is important in a lot of things, not just pro wrestling. Karaoke is another one you got to pay attention. Because I'll tell you, I sang Staying Alive by the Bee Gees once. Once. I can imagine that you were gasping for air, like within like the first chorus. Let me explain to you the last seven mm. minutes of the song. I'm staying alive! It's that for seven minutes, <laughs> just over and over and over. Good Lord. I And eventually, I just walked off the stage. The song was still going. And you definitely weren't staying alive. <laughs> I give up. I tapped out to the crazy-haired karaoke guy. One of my favorite songs to sing at karaoke is The Piano Has Been Drinking from Tom Waits. And I know you're not a Tom Waits fan. But I don't hate Tom Waits. I just, you know, it's like all these other, like, cool hip people who have been around forever. But, you know, you just don't own any albums and you haven't found the 
the urge to go out and buy them. Yes. You know? Well, I, I had the urge to buy them. I had many Tom Waits albums before I sold my record collection. But yes, uh, for the young heads out there, please make sure that you're picking entrance music that is uh, quick and to the point. Uh, especially because if nobody knows who you are, the uh, build up to Fear of the Dark from Iron Maiden sounds really cool in your head when you're jamming out to it in your car. But Fear nobody is going to give a flying fuck if you have to make them wait that long for you to walk out the curtain. Yeah, Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden. So I know that song very well because Iron Maiden uh, was the almost exclusive soundtrack to my childhood Dungeons and Dragons games. Pewter Jewelry. Not only that, yes, pewter jewelry and uh, and uh, tapestries as well. Yes. It seemed like everyone in my neighborhood uh, did all their decorating it from smoke shops. Yeah, did you have a lava lamp? I personally didn't. We were oh. really poor. But yeah. uh, my buddy, who we used to hang out at his place, he had a lava lamp, the pewter jewelry, the Iron Maiden tapestries. He had There's a black light in there. Exotic and practical knives, you know, with jagged <laughs> edges all over them. Yes. And that shaving cream can that you can uns- unscrew to hide your whatever you put in there. Yes. You know, smoke shop Incense. stuff. Incense. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, let's talk about this. Wrestling music. Because there's something else, too, like... Maybe Ultimate Warrior wouldn't have blown himself up so much if he didn't pick like some sort of song that was at a punk rock's pace. Yes. Maybe if he did something that was under 120 beats per minute, he might last two and a half minutes. I But that would take away from the mystique of who he was as a person. Okay. The Ultimate Warrior theme song was great. His entrance was fantastic. Sure. And it I, was way more <laughs> exciting than the everything else. Uh, I also was a big fan of the rockers theme. When, mm-hmm. when I was selecting theme music for myself, I'm like, I want to find something that has that same tempo uh, that the rockers theme did. And I picked, I was a big Swedish metal fan. I don't remember their song at all. <laughs> It was it was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was very similar to Warriors. Yeah, and I picked Ordinary Story from In Flames because it had a really fast intro to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I revised Crash Test Cody, I came out to the crowd from Operation Ivy, wow. which had a really fast intro. Sure, and then. When I was uh, leading a satanic cult by the name of the Order of Illumination, that is when I switched to something that had a little bit more of an intro. But I had established myself in order to get away with pulling that off. Right. So I think that two of my favorite ring entrances of all time with I don't give a absolute flying whatever 
Paul London, there was a period of time he was coming out to the ring. I wish I could remember the song, but he was coming out with an astronaut outfit. And he would let that entire song play out. And he would just be walking throughout the crowd, shaking hands with people, just having conversations. And Spider Nate Webb actually also came out to Weedus Teenage Dirtbag. Uh-huh. And there was a Joey Janela spring break where they actually had Weedus perform Teenage Dirtbag for Spider Nate Webb. And they played the entire song before he got into the ring. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, you know, and there's something else. BPM, as I mentioned, beats per minute. You know, if you have something with a high BPM, chances are you're going to be running out to the ring. Mm -hmm. Slow it down. You could strut out. Yes. Uh, In fact, I think I even remember Jim Johnston talking about this as he was explaining like, oh, here, you know, uh, Paul White has to walk to the the ring really slow because he's a big oaf. So, uh, you know, he gets this slow Chicago-style blues, which, by the way, stinks. <clears throat> well, I don't hate it. <clears throat> you don't hate it? No. Chicago uh, blues is lame. Well, I, Delta I, blues is dope. I also would... I dealt with the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 soundtrack for a long time. What does that mean? I'm gonna take you for a ride. You never heard that song? No. Oh, it's terribly good. Well, so let me uh, turn things back around. So uh, you, was it this past weekend you debuted for LA Fights? That is correct. And, you know, I saw some video because I assume it happened in LA. Yes. Surprisingly. Not a surprise. (laughs) It's right there in the name, if you can believe it. Uh, I did see a video of you with uh, thumbtacks in your back and I just went, oh, Cody, this guy, he can't help himself. No, you gotta I gotta make an impression. Uh, Out come the thumbtacks. Oh, I and there was an impression that was definitely made. Sure. And I was lucky enough to be in attendance for GCW No Signal in the Hills 2, which was a the opening match was Gringo Loco versus Rocky Romero. Mm-hmm. And the energy in that room was insane. Uh you could feel the vibration from the crowd and the bell just rang. They hadn't even touched yet. And it was a really, really cool experience to see that. And then Rocky should be huger than he is. I agree with that. And Gringo Loco is becoming what he needs to be. Like that guy is stellar and world-class. And that is, um, it was a really cool moment in time. And then, LA fights the match with Hunter Freeman uh, went the way that it needed to go. Hunter Freeman is a crazy gifted, talented brawling motherfucker. Like I, and we had a great match and it was a really special moment for me because not only that, but Sandra moon had a match with uh, Kevin Blackwood and she did fantastic in that. And Lazarus, uh, who is her brother, ended up wrestling early morning Guy Steel, which was hilarious. Mm. And Gregory Sharp also had a really good moment on the card against Midas Creed and Brandon Gatson. And then Damian Drake, Damian Drake had a match as well. And he had his match with Titus Alexander. So it, it was really cool to see these people that I 
have trained in Sandra Lazarus and Damian Drake, and then also to have my friend uh, Gregory Sharp there and G Sharp, I think. Yes, and it it was just really it was a very validating moment. And thankfully, I think that we all left a good enough impression to where we will most likely be invited back. Right. Well, that's always good. Now, this begs the question. How did you get the, uh, what would you say, two and a half, not three inches, two and a half inch gash on the back (laughs) of your head? Uh, It was during the finish of the match. Mm. I don't know what that means. Is this uh, uh, some sort of street lingo? This is street lingo, yes. (laughs) Um, Believe me, I, I remember there was a period of time where I think during I'm Hurt, we're like, let's keep it super kayfabe. Right. And I just feel, sometimes I do feel silly, but yes. Maybe the, one show I should, uh, when's April coming? Well, we're a while away. Yes. Uh, we should do an April Fool show where you uh, drop a bunch of backstage stuff and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, what is this? But <laughs> at the end of the match, um, Hunter Freeman Choke slam. He power bombed me through a door, and then he choke slammed me through the door with thumbtacks, and then I defiantly kicked out. Mm. And then he proceeded to take a broken table and bash me in the head until I stayed down. And it was during said bashing that I got split open. Did he catch you with an edge? Yes. God damn. Yeah, yes. It looks like someone split a melon. Yes. And oh, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and. Not my head's not a melon, so maybe not literally. But no, I don't oh, know. There's some fruit in there. I should, yeah, there a little bit. <laughs> I I should have probably gotten stitches, but I decided to go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles instead. Oh, uh, that's nice. How was it? Not that good. No, no, I was kind of disappointed. The chicken quality was good, right. but the waffle was kind of like, eh, yeah. Uh, it's almost like just egos. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've known that. I And I've I, never even eaten there. I was, I I will say I'm going to have chicken waffles at some other places and I'll report back with where I think that you can get quality chicken waffles. Oh, I can answer that right now. There's a place in Vegas called Hash House of Go-Go. That place is around a couple different, I mean, it, the portions are huge too. Yeah. Uh, their chicken and waffles is, uh, you might as well eat it while you're on the toilet. Delectable. <laughs> And just keep me right here. I'll be fine. But <laughs> I, I did find these crazy, um, they're like butterfly sutures on Amazon, but they're actually zip ties. So I have a bandage right now that has two zip ties that go opposite directions that right. my fiance had to put on the back of my head. And now it itches really bad. Oh, does it itch? Yeah, I did see it. I wish I could explain it to the people, but imagine a giant Band-Aid with these ratchets on the underside. Yes. Basically keeping the the gash closed. Yeah. I'm pretty excited because I didn't have to get stitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I talked to you, I said, well, are you getting the stitches or... Uh, are we getting the old crazy glue out? And you're like, ah, I'm going to air it out. Then get the crazy glue. Like, yeah. oh, God. So yeah. He's going to have a fucking scar on his head. Well, I'll definitely have a scar on my head, even with the stitches. The problem with stitches is, is that I have to wrestle on Friday, brother. Yeah. So I've had stitches before. Right. And I've had them bust open. Right. And then 
the process of actually going back to get them restitched ends up being more hassle than it's worth. So it turns into a situation. How bad is it bleeding? Is it bleeding bad enough for me to think, oh, crap, I have to go to the hospital and do I see blood? Do I see my skull? Do I see any muscle? And I just decided I can't feel it. Mm-hmm. It's bleeding a little bit. I'm just going to go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and go home. Maybe we should get you a new gimmick, hmm. uh, like a chic-like gimmick where you wear a turban to protect it. Well, I, I'm so excited because I get to go into this match, and if you look at old All Japan matches with the Funk brothers, mm-hmm. Terry Funk would get busted open the night before, and then the next night he has the crazy bandage on his head, and I feel like it's a rite of passage. Yeah, he did always have crazy bandages. Yes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it up where it was clear like this guy did this himself. Yes, you know no doctor is this shoddy. Yeah, <laughs> you don't trust doctors, man. They they try to keep you for a while and doing experiments on you. Whatever you say. <laughs> Welcome everybody, let's uh, take a little another look at what's going to happen here tonight at the War Zone. The Undertaker's going to join us for a special interview. Here you look at some of the uh, Alabamians. Poor and, uh, certainly Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to be in action against Jim the Anvil Neidhart and Stone Cold look at looking for a, a tag team partner. As a matter of fact, I believe he's found one. All you got to do is stand on a damn apron and not do a damn thing because I'll do all the work. All you got to do is be my partner so it's legal because Gorilla Monsoon won't let me do it by myself. Do you get that? I'm scared. Of course you're scared because you're a piece of trash. But the bottom line is, if Stone Cold is your partner, you don't have nothing to worry about. See, I'm your partner, man. I'm the man you're looking for. I would do great with you. Please give me a chance, man. I'm the man for you. You think you... I know so. You think you can do the job? I know I could. Come on, man. You can... Come on, pick me. You're gonna be my tag team partner because I say you're gonna be my partner. You got it? <laughs> yes, sir. You're gonna be there, right? Yes, sir. You're gonna sit your stupid ass on the corner and watch me kick their asses, aren't you? Yes, sir. Damn right. Well, today's episode uh, is the Brooklyn Brawler. Now. It's interesting when you and I sat down before season three began and we were like, all right, what are all the greats? And we started rattling off names. Um, We got down to the end and it's like, maybe we should have like the greatest jobber on there. Now, I don't know if Brooklyn Brawler qualifies as the greatest jobber, but he might be the most notable identifiable. Yeah. You know, because he was the only one that I can really recall who had a gimmick. Yeah. You know, uh, he wasn't, he didn't come out as Steve Lombardi. Well, he did sometimes, but, uh, Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. Oh, was that his, uh, Warriors gimmick? I believe so. Yeah. That was a weird time period. But, uh, yeah, the Brooklyn Brawler, I think, is probably the most recognizable for his fart stained shirt <laughs> and pants. Fart stained shirt. <laughs> well, do you remember watching Revenge of the Nerds? Yes. Uh, Booger was a character in Revenge of the Nerds, and he had a shirt that said, Who Farted? And it's got, like, brown stains and stuff all over it and random torn holes. Yes. Like, someone busted ass so much that this guy's shirt exploded. <laughs> anyway, that's what Brooklyn Brawler looks like. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. But, yeah, so he had he had a look. Uh, you know, 
it's crazy. I almost, as much as I said, we should have a jobber in there. Enhancement talent might be something I know the least amount as far as knowledge of the history of that in professional wrestling. You know, I know that they're needed. Yes. You know, what can you say about enhancement talent? Well, enhancement talent, I think it's a, it's not a fun place to be in. No. Uh, no. Uh, coming from somebody that has been enhancement talent before. Sure. And but, for a long time. Well, yeah, but I, here's what I'm wondering. Most so, money I ever made, though. <clears throat> exactly. Because what I'm wondering is, like, how does one, you know, Cactus Jack realize I'm Lou. Well, yeah, he was Jack Foley or whatever he was on WWE television for some weeks. And he realized I'm losing, obviously, because he was there to lose. Um, but he's losing on television. At a certain point, I got to get out of here. And then as he went to another place, I'm losing on television a bunch. I need to get out of here. And he would move on and on and on. But there are a lot of people, they just, maybe they're just okay with all the losses as long as it makes money, you know? Um, you know, S.D. Jones and Barry Horowitz and all Barry these- Horowitz, man. Like, clap yourself on the back. Like, I... And that's the thing is that a lot of the jobbers, like they're journeymen, you know, and it just so happens that they might be some of the unsung heroes of professional wrestling because they have traveled the most. A lot of them had more experience than the stars they were trying to bring up and put over. Right. And they, there's, I'm sure a plethora that ended up making a living in the industry, Barry Horowitz. Um, when you're talking about famous, the Mulkey brothers, iron Mike sharp. sharp. Yep. And you, there's been periods in time where jobbers were used far more, but now there's not necessarily traveling jobbers. What people like WWE will do is they'll end up using enhancement talent that are local right local students and stuff like that yes and that's like a way for a lot of people to get into the door so there's just peaks in time but the interesting thing is because basically what happened if my memory serves i mean the business model was you had all these enhancement guys um and you had your stars go against these guys uh, just to showcase their abilities. And then on pay-per-views and in house shows, you would see actual matches. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's back when the business model was different. We're using television to promote our big, our actual business. Now, or at a certain point, and basically about when the uh, Raw started, you know, Raw basically did away with a lot of job guys, uh, not immediately, but very quickly where they were just offering, you know, matches with stars versus stars. Yes. And, and that, all those enhancement guys just disappeared. Well, there's also reasons for that as well. There was a gentleman whose name I can't remember. Back in the day, all you had to do to get used as enhancement talent was show up with a rolly bag and a pair of boots. Right. Right? You just show up to the venue early and like, well, who trained you? Oh, Buzz Sawyer trained me. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. And then they would let you in 
And there was a period of time, especially like in the 80s and the early 90s, where you would see one of two things, sometimes both. One, these people just getting absolutely murdered by people like Legion of Doom yeah, and Sid Vicious and stuff like that. The Steiners. Yes. And then two, you would also see people that obviously didn't know how to hit ropes properly. Right. Didn't know how to take bumps properly. Yeah. And that would also ultimately result in them getting murdered. Sure. And I mean, not to go back to the well here, but Cactus Jack, and it must have been like his third or fourth match, he was facing off against the 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 British Bulldogs. Yep, Dynamite Kid. I mean, he didn't know shit. Yep. And <laughs> I like that he thought, I'm going to get a little offense in here. He had one little thing he, he wanted to get in. Somebody no-sold it and... If memory serves in the book, he's like he could see Dynamite Kid on the fucking apron vibrating like, oh, let me in there. And sure enough, he gets in and he gives him a just a lariat across the chin and breaks his jaw. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the protocol is those guys were paid apparently decent enough to get the shit beat out of them. Yes. And it. It's something that there was this guy that ended up suing WWE, and I don't know the conclusion of the lawsuit, but he lied and said that he was a wrestler, and then he ended up wrestling the Rockers, and Marty Jannetty had said, hey, have you seen my finish? And the guy's like, yeah, I I know how to take that. Right. And he did not know how to take that, and instead of taking a face bump on the Rocker dropper, my man just spiked himself straight into the mat. And... That was because this guy lied. Right. And then also look at the mass transit incident. Yep. This kid lied and said that he was trained by Killer Kowalski. And it just so happened the one day that Killer Kowalski wasn't backstage was this day. Right. And so he skated himself in and then he pissed off the wrong person and new Jack and new Jack carved him up like a fucking jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. And that's something that didn't, but let's be real. Yeah. He, 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 he he did break a bunch of faux paws while he was in the back. They probably knew like, we're going to fucking tear this dude up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he essentially legally got away with assault. Uh, oh, he absolutely did. Yeah, it's like, hey, this guy's smoking in the locker room. I'm going to kill him. But like, but he also willingly participated in being assaulted. Yeah. You know, some people are really easy targets right. and really easy victims. And even and we've talked about uh, the petty spaghetti and sour grapes of pro wrestling before. And some of it is valid. Sure. You know, there, some. Th- there's a lot. Yeah, there's. There's some situations. There was a gentleman that I wrestled very early on in my career and whose name I won't name. And I had not been wrestling for very long, but I had just come off of having a dog collar match. And he asked me, well, what matches have you been in? You know, like, what have you done? And I'm like, well, I just got done having a dog collar match. And apparently that set this dude off. So when we were calling because of what? Because you were newer. Because I was newer and I had a gimmick match. Right. And and it turned into a matter of, well, I'm going to teach this kid respect. And respect. respect. And (sighs) 
so what what we did is we talked about how the match was going to go. And he said, I'm going to kind of be insulting to you to the point to where you're going to smack me. And then I'm going to put you in the corner and then I'm going to smack you back. And he told me, you know how to smack somebody, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know how to smack somebody. Right. Well, whatever you do. Now, did you? Don't. Whatever you do, don't bust my eardrum. Right. Don't bust my eardrum. And he just keeps on like really harping on like, dude, I, I got you. Right. I'm good. So I smack him. Yeah. Right in the pocket. Perfect placement. Perfect contact. Perfect noise. And then what he does is he decides to put me in the corner and then he busts my eardrum. Right. By smacking me directly in the fucking ear. And it, I'm actually going death in my right ear now because of that. So, uh, thank you, sir. Um, and, but that the reason why that happened from what I found out in conversations with people that were around back at that time was that I kind of ruffled his feathers a little bit by telling him that somebody else booked me in this match. Right. By uh, saying the truth. When you asked me a question. Yes. However, I did earn his respect by he went in the back and he's like, well, Hey, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. He's like, you sure? Yep. Completely fine. That's another weird thing. I know you're supposed to go back and be like, yeah, man, things are great. Even though you fucking ruptured my eardrum, my equilibrium's off and I won't be able to, I'll be be able to hear as good as Pete Townsend in a few years. I was bleeding out of my fucking earlobe. Right. And he, he asked me twice And I'm not going to give them the satisfaction because sometimes that's what they want to bait you into. Sure. They want to bait you into the reaction. So, oh, look at this. So, and I understand. That's what I'm saying. That's that's the part of the industry that I think is bullshit. I think if somebody did a bunch of fucked up shit to you and they go, oh, man, are you all right? Like, man, you should be able to say, you got me good. God dang. And like maybe you need to clean up that part of your game or whatever, and, but that and, can never happen. And, you just have yeah. to smile and be like, Hey, thanks well, for everything. So what I, what I did was, is he said the third time, he was like, I should have told you I lay it in. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't notice. Yeah. And I just smiled at him and I did not give him the reaction that he wanted. He ended up respecting me down the line and we have, pleasantries here and there sure so and there i'm i'm a very different person now and there's somebody recently that i've been in the ring with that i've had to tell them yo dude knock it the fuck off right and it was one of those things that he's like oh oh, oh, i'm sorry i I wonder if there's a day you know like it's like that's my 10-year anniversary I can tell people who are fucking getting loose. Hey, man, tighten up. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I and I definitely there's and there's some situations that happen where you do. Sometimes I fire off live rounds. Sure. You know, but I always make sure that I do it in a safe fashion. This contest is scheduled for one fall. Coming towards the ring, led by his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan, from Brooklyn, New York, weighing 248 pounds, here is the Brooklyn Brawler, 
suppose Heenan's philosophy is he can take someone like Lombardi and make a star out of him. Well, let me ask you this, McMahon. If he does, will you put some of your lavish praise upon Bobby the Brain Heenan? Indeed, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the Red Rooster really pretty much... Wow, oh, look at that. that. I can tell Heenan's influence already Indeed. on Lombardi. Oh, boy. Come on. We had an occasion to speak with the Red Rooster a little bit earlier on. Here's what he had to say. It all started with two words, Brain. Trust me. Well, I did. I turned my life over to you, and I ended up getting stitches in my head. I get embarrassed on television by your brawler. Well, I can tell you one thing, brawler. I'm going straight through you to get to the Brain. Trust me. Rooster obviously looking forward to the opportunity of uh, colliding with the brawler, or Steve Lombardi, if you would. I think we should call him the Brooklyn Brawler because this is a whole new Lombardi I'm seeing right here. The aggressiveness out of him. You can just feel the confidence just coming out of the old Steve Lombardi, the new Brooklyn Brawler. And you attribute all of that, of course, to Bobby the Brain Heenan's presence. Why else? You give me another reason right oh, now. The only give one me I can another reason. It's the only one I can think of. It shows me right there the influence that Heenan has on a wrestler. He can take an average, mediocre wrestler and turn him into a possible champion. I don't think, however, that was the case with the Red Rooster. The Rooster is a multi-talented individual. He claimed the Rooster was limited. I didn't see that at all. I did. I see the Rooster as limited in size, limited in speed, limited in ability. He was doing tremendously well with Heenan. Now we'll find out how well he does without Heenan. And the brawler doing very well for himself listening to Heenan now. Heenan asking to turn him over. Jeez, you might as well have remote control there with the little radio device in the ear of the brawler. Connected to Bobby the Brain Heenan. Heenan's telling him everything to do. What's this? Ooh. From the top rope. That is a new move I've ever seen out of the Brooklyn Brawler, Indeed. the former Steve Lombardi. Bobby Heenan, big smile on his face. Here is your winner, the Brooklyn Brawler. Look at that, McMahon. Heenan takes him over, and Lombardi gets a notch in the win column. That's simple. Yep, I guess you're right. Bobby Heenan. Oh, come on. Here's a replay here. You see the Brooklyn Brawler suplex. Bam! Coming down off the top on Reno Riggins. And a big win for the Brawler. Ooh, how about that? I will hit the fuck out of people. But I'll make sure that it's in safe places. Because the goal is, is to go hard enough to where you feel like you were in something. But be able to walk out of it. Right. And I go into every match that I have wanting that type of feeling and wanting that type of emotion. But then on the flip side of that, you have some people that are made of glass. So back to WWF getting rid of jobbers, there was a period of time where they didn't want to touch enhancement talent 
because they got sued. Right. And, and the but, only time you ever saw any fresh faces, they were normally wearing security uniforms. Yes. I mean, seemingly every week, we need security. Get whatever local promotion on the phone. Yep. Yeah. It's a shame. Is it? It is. I I personally think that extra work is something that there's a lot of people that brag about it. Yeah. And there's a, a lot of, like <clears throat> I think that when when we did extra work the first time the AEW was in town, mm-hmm. that was a really positive experience. Did you get a, a I don't mean to spoil the gimmick, folks, but I'm talking to uh Oh, what's the name of that group? <laughs> Dark Order. Dark Order. Uh, what were the name of the the guys though? Um, Player Uno and Stu Grayson. Were yeah, but the there first were names. Two. Oh, the Minions. The Minions. Well, yeah, yes. you were Dark Order Minion Number Seven. Yeah, well, that was me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Did they give it a? Te- you're Number Seven. Yes. And actually, I they, think they, they had a seven. Didn't they, they didn't give me and they didn't give me a number. That's they just they just had me come out right. and. That was an overwhelmingly positive experience, though. Right. We all got fed. We all got paid. They came down to the school, and it was QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes. Right. And Dustin Rhodes basically walked into what was actually supposed to be my class, and it's like, floor is yours. Like, and it was a wonderful experience. Right. And he he gave his time to everybody. And whereas I have done extra work for other companies that I will not name. Sure. And it, well, it's a short list. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I and think, we've said it on the show yeah, before. I've, I've already talked about it in detail. So go back and listen to whatever episode where I called out Josh Matthews, but nope. you did it. I did it again. Yeah. It's okay. I'm sure he's doing well, but uh, I, I've had very negative experiences right. um, doing extra work for other companies. And it's something that when there's some people, when they do extra work, what they'll do is, is they'll, they'll post their check on social media. Jesus. How it, that it, is it, pathetic. Yeah. They'll, they'll post like the delivery address and stuff like that. And the joke going around now is that anyone that wrestles AEW dark, their rate goes up and, uh-huh. things like that. And it's just, it's something that the last time I did extra work, mm-hmm. I purposely wore a mask. So people wouldn't know it was me yeah. <laughs> because they're like, Hey, do you want to do this? Uh, not really. Right. Um, this I'll- is a, that's a perfect time for my side gimmick idea. Need to get that your side jobber gimmick where you're wearing a hood. Yeah. Just like they used to do back in the day. Absolutely. Oh, I can be the up- shadow number five. Yeah. Oh, let's go. Is there a dark sheik? There is a dark sheik. Okay. Yes. Well, he's already taken. Because I was thinking of she is already taken. Oh, she's already taken. I was thinking of like a luchador mask with a turban. Yes. (laughs) There's also a mysterious person named Sphinx out here, but we don't know who that is. Right. But I heard that he can fly high. All right. Whatever you say. I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. All right. See, when you bring up this side shit, brings Rondo conversations rocks. to an end. I know. <laughs> well, re- regardless, it's it, it's a very interesting time to be in the industry right now because there really isn't there is enhancement talent, there is enhancement matches, but there's nobody that's really hired by any major company that they're out there to be the good hand. Okay. So, AEW Dark 
is just wrestlers having wrestling matches. Right. And every now and again, when you need to build a Keith Lee, right. you'll throw some people in there for Keith Lee to throw around and stuff like right. that. To pad but, them records. Yeah, but there's not any real career journeyman right. anymore. It's a. It's definitely, there's been peaks and valleys when it comes to... Well, it's part of the dream, isn't it? Yeah. The, the dream is not to get into the industry to make money anymore. It's to live out the fantasy of being one of these characters in the video games you play. Well, that's silly because I just want to make money. Ah, well, then by the way, you can fucking uh, be Journeyman Cody. That's a new gimmick. Journeyman yeah. Cody. Well, early morning guy still already has me beat me, beat me to that. <laughs> and he wakes up at four o'clock in the morning every day working on an oil rig. So yeah, it's interesting. They, it seems like they only need enhancement talent when they have a guy who's north of six, four. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're You're going to be in a handicap match with a, with 12 nobodies with the security guards, right? Braun Strowman, uh, Wardlow, Ryback know, got the treatment, Ryback, you know, any guy who's just a big dude who they want to turn into Goldberg. Mm-hmm. I need five guys at a time that, that don't have a name. So, <laughs> It's, you know, it's interesting because on one hand, fans, when they started, was it Ellsworth? Was that his name? Yes, James Ellsworth. Yeah. He um, was probably the last of the Mohicans when it comes to that, If now but, that I really think about it. But the funny thing was, and I know that he's been uh, a, banished, banished from the land. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he was like the, the WWE just all of a sudden for maybe it was Braun Strowman, like we're going to have, they just started having uh, enhancement talent come up. Yep. Uh, which they hadn't had in years. And fans were like, this is refreshing. But Ellsworth, I think he was probably week number two. Braun Strowman cleaned out the first guy, and then Ellsworth came in, this no-chinned bastard, and got himself over by accident. He got himself over with the promo. Right. Any man with two hands has a fighting chance. That's right. That's right. Which and is a great line. It's a great line. That was all that he said, and that was enough for him to get a gig at that place for at least a year and a half. Yeah. Holy crow. Yep. And then he fucked it all away. He blew it. Good <laughs> lord. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was... It was it was a really weird period of time because there was a promotion that's no longer uh, running now that for some reason thought it was actually a good idea to book James Ellsworth. Ah. But it was in like this little tiny rinky dink town in Arizona and he would actually draw like it it was just absolutely. Plus it's Arizona. Yeah. I mean, Arizona is the New Jersey of the uh, (laughs) of the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they don't celebrate yeah. Martin Luther King Day, if you know what I mean. My apologies to anyone that is listening to this from Arizona right now. Their sheriff is a crazy Republican cuckoo. Oh, man. There is a lot of that going around there. Yeah. Lots uh, of it. You know what's funny? I don't mean to spin off. Uh, speaking of people who were kicked out of the WWE, uh, Enzo Amore. Yes. Now, he's wrestling, I believe, in Impact? I I think so. I don't know if it's a full-time schedule or not. I was thinking of him recently, because him and... Big Cass. The, the former Big Cass, I guess he goes by W. Morrissey. Yes. Which is, eh, not, the name does not hit as hard as what his old one did. Um, 
I was thinking about those two and how they were the biggest tag team in the WWE for a for a sizable chunk of time, actually. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the, they had gotten over on their uh, well, not on their own accord, but just cutting promos and developing an act in NXT. And by the time they they debuted on the main roster. Um, I mean, everyone was in on the act. Everyone enjoyed it. Everyone liked them. And I was thinking about how the WWE completely let it all fucking spoil. I don't know if it was WWE that completely let it all spoil. You don't think I, so? Uh, they are both now on a kind of like a rebirth path sure and they've held themselves accountable for their mistakes and the unfortunate thing is is that they both let their status in the public eye Mm -hmm. steer the car and they both made very very bad decisions yeah and uh more morrissey is sober now um I had the opportunity to interact with him a few times. He's brilliant, really good human being. Oh, that's great. And will openly tell anyone like, yeah, I screwed up. And same thing with Enzo. Whereas at first Enzo wasn't necessarily saying, yo, I screwed up. He wasn't found guilty of what he was accused of. Uh However, Oh, we don't need to re air this last week's conversation, but he put himself in a bad spot, hanging out with the wrong people. That's ultimately what happened to him. Hmm. That's, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that's tough. We've all grown up with whoever we grew up with. Yeah. You know, and we've had bad people in our lives. Um, <laughs> it's tough to say, you know, uh, like, oh, am I supposed to fucking just hate all these motherfuckers because they're old friends of mine or whatever, even though they're, they're, you know, known for trouble or not. I don't know. Right. It's it's tough. And also, I don't know the, the full detail of the personal business. But here's what I remember. I remember them getting there, being crazy over, never getting a shot with the championship, despite being uh, one of the most over acts on that television show for months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then them being split up and sent in two different directions. And that's when things went south. Enzo gets a uh, uh, 205, 205 live belt or the well, cruiserweight before that. I mean, oh, well, yeah, well, I guess he 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 gets sent to 205 because they feel he's not uh, his, his in ring skills aren't great enough. And maybe they think they'll teach him a little humility because, you know, a lot of his online account stuff is uh, he is the person that he uh, plays on TV, so yes. to speak, you know, so he's walking around with the cruiserweight championship, on, which is something that, you know, people in 1998 and before would never do. Mm-hmm. But he was crazy over because of that sort of stuff. Yes. You know, that he was this over the top character, but in the backstage politic world of, uh, of that industry, it's so frowned upon to actually act like a champion, I suppose. Yes. And like I said, there one day there, there was an interview they both did recently, mm-hmm. like, and it's worth listening to. Sure. And they, I'm a big fan. 
I celebrate them because they held themselves accountable. And I think that when people hold themselves accountable for doing dumb things, they should be applauded, especially when they try to do something right. And that is something that it, you can sabotage yourself pretty quick if you don't know when to turn it off. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was, I think something that there's, there's many people that I have met in the industry that don't know how to turn it off. And it just so happens that some of those people are the most tumultuous ones to deal with. Right. And it also just so happens that they all kind of found a way to boot themselves out of the industry. Right. You know, Kurt, I'm looking at your shirt. And I can feel what you're going through. I went through the same thing. You lose, you lose, you lose, you lose. Look at my career. Look at my career, how famed it became. I beat Jinder Mahal right in the Barclays Center. After having all these losses. I beat Triple H. I won a battle royal at Madison Square Garden. So never get down on yourself. You will win. Trust me. I've been there. It's yeah, it's interesting because what if it generates you a lot of money? You know, hey, look, Floyd Mayweather is a giant dick bag. Yes. Uh, just a super obnoxious, well, tiny little man with a serious Napoleon complex. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also a multi multi millionaire and his pay-per-views draw huge numbers. Right. You know, is there a certain, you know, what's that line in the sand that you draw where you put up with certain behaviors? Um, they found that line. Right. They, and they, not only did they find that line, but they crossed that line. And that's something that look at people that have been in the company for a while. Um, <clears throat> we've talked about Ziggles before. Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler. Ziggles. Ziggles. And. Dolph Ziggler was one of those guys where like, well, I just don't understand why this guy isn't getting pushed to the moon. And then you end up hearing him <clears throat> running his mouth about something, uh, degrading John Cena and things of that nature. Then he disappears for a little bit and then he comes back around and things like that. So <clears throat> it turns into a issue of what don't we know? Mm -hmm. We only know what we can see. Right. And now it's they're apparently about to push him again. And hopefully this time it sticks. But Dolph Ziggler. Yes. Isn't he getting ready to feud with uh, the person who I really think they're actually pushing? Mm. Austin, uh, not Austin theory. Yeah. And that's and he's most likely there to you want to talk about jobber, like right. not necessarily a jobber, but I mean, like when's the last time he won a match? Yeah. Z <laughs> Z Ziggler Ziggler has been utilizing the company as one of those guys, but right. it, who knows what he's done, you know, and whether it's warranted or not, you know, I, I've caught heat for some absolutely ridiculous things. And then I've also, 
been in situations to where I've seen other people do ridiculous things. And I'm like, Hey, this was really ridiculous. And they're like, yeah, but he sells tickets. Right. And once again, there, there is a line, you know, and that was the line that, um, Cass crossed was struggling with substances. I guess. I mean, it wasn't the word at the time that he wouldn't shut the fuck up about Donald Trump and all that shit behind the scenes. I drove everyone nuts. (laughs) I don't know if that was him. That was Riker or some shit. No, no, this was him too. It was him too. Well, no, Riker was something else. Riker was, uh, attending online, uh, fucking forums in his, his referee outfit. (laughs) Oh no, that was Drake younger. Oh, Drake. Yeah, man. Who's Riker then? Right. Some other guy, some other guy, but that, but that's the thing is, oh, Riker was part of the tag team. Yes. The bikers. Was it? I believe so. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it's one of those things like there is a line to cross. And then at that point, how valuable are they really? Mm-hmm. And the machine goes on without you. Sure. And well, I think they were selling a lot of fucking t-shirts. I know that. And then eventually it got to the point to where then what's it worth if you're selling all these t-shirts and then he was only accused of something, but at the same time, it's a pretty crazy accusation, Sure, you know? And also sometimes you can get away with being accused by not being around people that would probably accuse you of something like that. I don't know, man. Look, I'm a saint. Yeah. Uh, not literally, but, uh, pretty close. Blessed. You know what I mean? I'm a missionary position kind of guy. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I might, anything goes. I'm just saying I'm a prude and, uh, I'm not all, all that interesting in that sort of thing. And I'm sure that I've been with a couple of girls who've had some wild shit to say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've been with a spurned lover before, you know. Yes. Where just claims come freely. Yes. I'm not trying to uh victim blame or any of that stuff. Right. But I mean these tales are not uncommon. They're not uncommon. And especially in the case of uh say someone who's a celebrity. Right. And like I said, it's it's one of those strange things for me i'm not gonna say that i'm a saint like i butt stuff watch out girls hey now (laughs) um the one thing that i will say though is that i i speak up when i feel like i have to Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that there's a lot of situations that i've had to speak up on and we were talking about a couple episodes now they're there's this reputation of, oh, well, Cody's a hothead. Right. Well, I wouldn't be a hothead if you didn't like show up to one of my classes when you thought that it was going to be over, but I'm still going and you're playing your fucking music on your fucking phone and causing a fucking scene. Right. That's not me being a hothead. That's just me calling you out for being a dick or petty. Yeah. And I'm doing shit here, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, For some reason, backstage, uh, by all accounts, everyone I've ever heard, not just from you, everyone, backstage at a fucking pro wrestling locker room is uh, like fucking seventh grade. There's a change. That's good. Yeah, there's definitely a change. And then for some more logic, reasonable minded people. And thankfully, there there is a lot of that. And I think that 
because of the sensitivity of everything that did happen that we already talked about in the May Young episode, there there's more there of an a fabulous movie. Oh, May Young, my bad. Fabulous movie, May Young. Not the same person, but is it not crazy that May Young showed her Hooters? <laughs> yes, I'll give you this, man. May Young took some crazy bumps. Crazy bumps. Her and Mula did. Yeah, I mean these old bats shouldn't have been doing any of that shit but for some reason man i mean they had that old school worker in them they were just like come on you pussy lay it in there yeah you know? it's like christ the and if any of these guys went full tilt i mean these bitches teeth would have fucking flying uh, out of the ring well i mean i'm sure that there was moments in time where their veneers were extra put in right with the the what's that sensodyne dent- yeah the denture glue yes <laughs> Since Design's the best. I just remember that whatever pay-per-view it was, maybe it was that the King of the Ring where they had the bikini contest. Yep. It was the, the 1998 King of the Ring where Foley goes off the cell. That's probably why I've seen it so much. Uh, but yeah, they go through all the girls, Cat and all, you know, all these girls that come out in bikinis. Some of them really racy. And then out comes Mae Young. She's like, I want to show everyone my puppies. Yep. And fucking <laughs> Jerry the King Lawler is beside himself like, oh, no, please. Please don't do this. And, of course, she just uh, strips off to the classic uh, Ravishing Rick Rude theme. Da, 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 yep. da, 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 da. And the best. And, you know, say what you want about Jerry the King Lawler. I'm sure a lot of Internet fans would say negative things uh, i imagine most people in this room would say a lot of positive uh this guy knows how to sell shit he's fucking hysterical yeah he leans over and starts spitting like it's the crying game like <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, the crowd is, it turns into an angry mob like oh lord yeah of course mark henry comes out and saves the day thank you mark henry sorry women but uh I guess that's the that's the the mind of a man. We don't want to see naked girls that are north of seventy years old. Uh, there's a big market for grandmas, man. Dude, it's a different stop, day and age. Stop it! It's a different day and age. I'm just saying. All right, we get it. You <laughs> like old ladies. Some of the just because I have on. an old just because I have an old lady does not mean that I like old ladies. My old lady isn't old. Wow. You really grossed me out. I'm sorry about that. This is why I can't eat Altoids anymore. What? Were those originals? Boy, this fucking episode is <laughs> wacky. Do I even swing back to fucking Steve Lombardi? Why not? <laughs> what do you think of Steve Lombardi? I'm. He seemed like a nice guy. Well, he ran like interviews backstage for a long time, and I think at a certain point he was just fired for no reason. Yeah. Like just... Maybe it was the uh, the COVID quote unquote budget cuts mm-hmm. where they just laid off you know hundreds of people. They got rid of everyone that they could get rid of, and I think that he he had a career for a really long time, right? And it's it's something to be said about. Obviously, he was easy to work with for being able to work in the company for that long, whether it be on screen or off screen. I think it's something to be said about loyalty. Yes. Uh, This is my message to every wrestler and person in the wrestling industry out there. Have none. 
except to yourself. Yeah. Loyalty is the way loyalty is a currency that they use to brainwash you into doing what they want. Yes. Ultimately, you need to be worried about yourself. It's not to say that you need to be completely selfish, but what's the difference between you working in 10 different great places in great positions or in one place in a mediocre or lower position? And that that's funny that you mentioned that because that's something that I have only recently discovered as of late. Well, then you're, you don't listen because I've been saying that to you since we met. <laughs> well, but when, when it turns into loyalty and you're exactly right. Right. But the thing is, is that there is rewards for loyalty. Right. However, just because you're being rewarded and you're getting that dopamine fill right. doesn't mean that it's the best thing for you. Right. It's and also a short term boost for uh what is a long-term fail yes absolutely yeah it's unfortunate you know think about the undertaker he gets credit for he was a loyalist you know but the truth is you know he's respected by a lot of people behind the scenes and eventually that translated to on camera Mm -hmm. because if you hear people talk about how great someone is eventually it'll get around to the fans and then they'll just parrot what they've heard. Yes. I mean, there's a, I never understood why anyone would like Shawn Michaels. And it's because a lot of people from behind the scenes would go, he's the greatest worker of all time. But to me, he was always a heel who was an obnoxious dick face who I fucking hated, who I couldn't wait to see stone cold, give him a stunner. Yep. You know, um, his, his loyalty, I'm paid dividends for him, but think about all the people whose loyalty didn't help them at all. Bret Hart. How about fucking those 300 people that they completely canned when they were making budget cuts because of COVID. And then they turned out to have the record breaking profits for those two years. Yep. You know what I mean? It's all a bunch of shit. It is. And that's the, the sad thing is, is that there are some people that will be rewarded for loyalty. And then there's other people that they will have that take advantage of. Yeah. And I think that it's everyone's story is different, right? And you have to really prioritize what's padding your pocket. You know, like, are you getting more money to travel? Are you getting more money to stay home? And how can you switch that? How can you switch it to where I'm getting more money to travel than to stay at home? And that is a journey that some people have to put themselves on in order to find out how far they can actually go. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by Timothy Styles and Cody Hancock with web production and music provided by Timothy Styles. For more information, go to turnbuckleboogie.com. And for booking information on Cutthroat Cody Hancock, go to cutthroatcody.com. See you next Monday.